I love this service thus far as we've been singing about the grace of God and that wonderful, wonderful Psalm 23. It is life-giving, is it not? And the series that we're on is intended to be life-giving. It's a series called Unburdened, and it's based on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. The rabbis spoke of a yoke as their teaching. Or more commonly than that, the yoke of Torah, the commandments of God. Jesus is saying, take my teaching upon you and learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You can live with burdens, carrying burdens, without being burdened yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. Which isn't to say there won't be some difficult times in your life. Those times are times of testing. Jesus himself faced times of testing. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane. And in those moments, his heart was burdened and he had to work through that in faith. Even Jesus had to walk by faith. And in the same way, we might have periods of intense testing, but the characteristic way of life for the Christian is not one where you lose sleep or you're angry or you're discouraged or you're, you're, you're torn within or you're at odds with yourself when you're consumed with worries about what's happening around you. That's not the normal Christian life. That's what Jesus is telling us. Take my teaching upon yourself. Take my teaching. And then you'll find my burden is light. So that's where we've been. We've been talking about the teaching of Jesus and how it contributes to a better life. He says himself that you will know the truth when you when you focus on his teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Not my truth, the truth. As God's truth given through Christ takes over my mind and my heart, it changes my life and allows me to really live. And so that's the focus. That's where we want to go. Now, there is a passage in Proverbs that speaks directly to this. I want to read it to you. It's Proverbs chapter 4, a father speaking to his son, apropos on a day like this. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now that's an interesting passage. The the father's talking about his words and of course his words are instruction taken from the faith of Israel. We have a fuller body of teaching now that Christ has come and we have the New Testament, but the basic concept is the same. The father's passing wisdom onto his son and he says, I want you to be intentional about this. Guard your heart. Don't just let your heart and mind, in Hebrew, heart includes the mind. Don't just let your heart and mind be filled with whatever, 
but let it be filled with truth. Why? Because we live life from the inside out. That's why. Out of the heart flows your life. Out of the heart. A lot of people think that life really begins on the outside and penetrates us, but in truth, real life flows from the inside. And what you allow in your heart will determine what kind of life you live. That's the basic principle that this whole series is based on. When I taught seminary, the classes were usually pretty small, so to help us get better acquainted and know each other better, I'd usually do a short interview with each student week by week, just asking them about themselves, and they'd give a little bio. Well, I'm from this state and this town, and my father did this and my mother did that, or sometimes they'd say, my mom and dad are divorced, whatever. They'd talk about what university they went to and why they went there and how they felt called to the ministry and how they ended up in seminary. One day, there was a man in the seminar, and I asked him his story, and he said, well, I really can't talk about my mother and father because I don't know much of anything about them. He said, I grew up in a series of foster homes and was never adopted. I aged out of the foster care system. And even though we all know that there are many foster parents that, are, that they are a lifeline to the children they care for, that's not always the case. And sadly, that wasn't the case with this student. It was a series of foster homes and it was a series of troubled homes in which he lived, in some cases, abuse. He told us just a little about it. He didn't get into any details, but it was obvious this was, this was a burden on his life. I asked him, well, how did you work through some of the issues that that involved and, and sense a calling to the ministry? And he said, just like this, he goes, lots of counseling. <laughs> and we all laughed too because of the way he said it. It was kind of a comic way of saying it. But I'll never forget what he went on to say. He said, what I learned in therapy was that it wasn't nearly as important what happened to me as it was how I understood what happened to me. That is, what happened to him could teach him all the wrong lessons about himself, about God, about life, about other people, all the wrong lessons. And he could end up living a life where he's broken and he struggles and never reaches the potential God intends for him. But the key isn't what happens, it's how you understand it. And he said, I've had to relearn and reframe what I learned in, in you know, my life's experiences through the truth, through Jesus, through the scriptures. And I think that's an important truth. That's really what Proverbs is getting at. See, you live inside out and you have to guard your mind because what you think and what you allow to fill you, that's what's going to happen. It's not so much what happens to you, it's what you think about what happens to you. It's how you interpret God and life and yourself and all the rest. 
One of the most famous preachers of the 20th century was a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones. There's a picture I have of him, and I admit he looks a little stern, maybe a little sour. His son-in-law wrote a book about him, and he assures us that he was really quite funny, but I'm taking that on faith because I don't see funny in this picture. His congregation knew him as the doctor, not because he had a PhD in theology, but because he was a medical doctor. He had studied medicine at a very young age. He had already passed every requirement, every exam in order to be a physician, but he was still too young. He had run through the whole program so fast, he had to wait until he reached the the appropriate age, and then he became a medical doctor, worked for as the assistant to the royal physician. He was up and coming, but he sensed God leading him, calling him into ministry. And what's interesting is his ministry was like a doctor's work because he would would diagnose situations or, or, or troubles that people had. What is the root cause of this? And he would preach like a physician applying the truth to whatever it was that ailed the congregation. It was powerful. Well, one day, he had been thinking about doing a series of sermons on Ephesians, and it came to him strongly that God wanted him to preach on spiritual depression. He went to a stack of sermon outlines he had. He had a habit of whenever a sermon idea came to him or he's reading a passage of Scripture, he thought, I ought to preach on that text. He'd scribbled down some thoughts, usually an outline of what he might preach. So he went to a stack of those outlines, and as he started going through them, he said, that's perfect. This is perfect. This is perfect. And he went through one after the other after the other, and there they were in just the right order. And he said, I'm going to preach on spiritual depression. And out of it came this book, probably his best known book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. Now, interestingly, in the very first sermon that he preaches, he refers to Psalm 42 and particularly verse 5 and verse 11. And I want to read that psalm to you because he says something pertinent to what we're talking about this morning. Here's the psalm. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What Lloyd-Jones points out is in this passage, the psalmist is oppressed and discouraged 
He feels alone. He feels abandoned by God, but he doesn't stay there. Instead, he preaches to himself. That's the refrain. Why, my soul? That's an old Hebrew way of saying, why, self? (laughs) Why are you downcast? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God. Why? For I will yet praise him. He's my Savior and my God. And here's what Jones says in that, Lloyd-Jones says in that very first sermon. He says, most of the unhappiness in our lives is caused because we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Now, that's scary advice. If you're going to talk to yourself, it's best done in private unless you don't move your lips. But his point is clear. He says, you wake up in the morning and you have some thought in your mind and it may be a thought that leaves you discouraged and disheartened. He says, you must stop listening to yourself and start speaking to yourself. Speak the truth to yourself. Preach to yourself. You guard your heart and your mind because out of it flows life. And you want the life God has for you. So when other thoughts intrude, you grab them, you identify them, and you cast them out and confess the faith that you know, that you know in Jesus Christ. Some of you have heard Jonathan, Jonathan, or Johnny Erickson Tata. I was trying to say three words in one name. Johnny Erickson Tata. She is a remarkable woman, when she was a young woman, I think 17 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay. She had miscalculated how much water was there, and she hit the bottom head first and was paralyzed below her shoulders. As you might imagine, after that happened, she was depressed. She was angry. She said she thought of committing suicide. She lost her faith in God or came close to it. It was a terribly dark time. But what a remarkable woman she is. She she learned to paint with her teeth. You saw the picture up there on the screen of that, or you see it now. She's written over 50 books. She has served with many different organizations She's been on commissions. She had a big part, or an important part at least, in the Americans with Disability Act back, I think, in the early 90s. Um, She is is an extremely impressive person and has had a great impact on many people's lives. But as you can imagine, it was not easy. Now, I want to play a song for you that she sang. Now, this is not, she's not a singer. She's got no musical training whatsoever. And this was a song that was the theme for a movie called Alone Yet Not Alone. It actually won, an, or rather was nominated for an Academy Award as the best original song. The nomination was actually pulled back because the author of the song allegedly had tried to campaign for it to win, and they said, well, you can't do that, and they pulled it back. But that was actually not so bad because it caused a controversy, and it made people more interested in hearing it. Millions and millions have heard this song.
Now, it's not, it's not short. I want you to be patient with it, and I want you to watch, listen to the words, and I want you to watch until you get to the very end. You're going to see her husband, Ken, with her at the very end, and I want you to see what he's doing. And then I've got a few more things to say about this. Go ahead and play that if you would. I'm alone, yet not alone. God's the light that will guide me home. With his love and tenderness, leading through the wilderness. And wherever I may roam, I'm alone, yet not alone. So mighty is his shield, or his love is now revealed. When my steps are lost and desperate for a guide, I can feel his touch, a soothing
you see Ken there? Did you see him kneeling in front of her? Right at the end, he was kneeling in front of her. You saw his hand was on her diaphragm. He had to push on her diaphragm so she could get the air out to hit those higher notes. It wasn't easy to do, and she's not a trained singer. But what a powerful witness that is. Now, the thing is, the, the beautiful message there, what an important message. What an important message. Alone yet not alone. The problem is <laughs> the same music that makes it so inspiring, singing it to that beautiful melody, makes you think that that's the way real life works. Whoa, isn't Johnny Erickson Tata amazing? I mean, the music just plays in her life. And she sings alone, yet not alone, to this music. It all goes so much easier for her. I mean, with all these disabilities, yet she's able. She's able to make this confession of faith. I want to read to you what she says. There are very few days when my soul does not require a good talking to. On most mornings when pain encroaches, I demand my soul to come in alignment with the Holy Spirit. I order it to stand at attention and take orders from God for the day, that it rejoice in the day that has been made by its creator, that it ascribe to a holy purpose for life, that it quit being sullen and be hopeful in Jesus, and that it rejoice in the Lord, for therein lies its strength. Sometimes quadriplegia is just plain tiring. Add to it chronic pain, and it can wear on the soul. It's why when I deal with pain, I often pray, here it is, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Join me in urging your soul to find its solace, comfort, and encouragement in Jesus Christ. I thought that confluence of those two witnesses pointing to Psalm 42 and making the point so important for us all, so much of our unhappiness is caused by listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves preaching to ourselves. And so as we, in the weeks ahead, look at specific truths that speak to some of the issues that we face, it's important we understand that we take the Lord's yoke upon ourselves, not when we just give nominal agreement to some teaching, but when we refuse to allow the contrary claims to fill our thoughts. In other words, when we guard our minds and hearts, knowing we live from inside out, doesn't matter what's happened to you. What really matters is what's happening in here. It may be that you've been influenced by things outside you. We all have. But ultimately, with God's help, you have the freedom to change how you see things, and to bring your thoughts in conformity to the truth 
that is in Scripture. We sang Psalm 23 just a few minutes ago. The choir led us. It was wonderful. What a wonderful psalm that is. And, and it gives life, you know, when we realize that God is with us, even through the darkest valleys. God is with us. That's the truth. And it's that truth that comforts us. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Those are truths that give us strength. A few years ago, a man named Charles Allen, the pastor of First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas, at that time the largest Methodist church in the United States, published a book called God's Psychiatry. And in that book, he took some passages of Scripture that he said, if you will fill your mind and heart with these truths, it will, it will do more to bring you happiness and joy than perhaps anything else you could do. And one of the key passages, Psalm 23. And so I'd commend that to you, a good place to start, meditating on that scripture, confessing its truth, refusing to countenance thoughts in your mind that are contrary to it. Preach to yourself. And in that way, be lifted up. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are with us, that you are always watching over us. We thank you for your love, for your care. Sometimes, Lord, sometimes things grow dark for us. We allow our minds to be filled with lies and unbelief. Or we have a distorted lens, Lord, that doesn't allow us to see things truly. We pray that you would help us to order our thoughts according to the truth that is in Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.